on the Middle East, our Monitor's weekly podcast on the big stories in our region. Today, we'll be talking about Turkey's long-running threats to launch another invasion against US-backed Kurdish forces in northeast Syria. Turkey has since 2016 been seizing and occupying large chunks of northern Syria to prevent the Syrian Kurds from establishing a de facto statelet, much as their Iraqi Kurdish brethren have in northern Iraq. Turkey's last invasion in October 2019 triggered a global outcry and resulted in US congressional sanctions on Turkey. Turkey's president Recep Tayyip Erdogan has vowed to create a 30 kilometer deep security belt to defend Turkey against what he calls terrorists. With us here today to discuss this situation is Salih Muslim, the co-chair of the Democratic Unity Party, which is running the autonomous administration in northeast Syria. Welcome to our show, Salih Bey. It's so great to have you here today, especially at this very critical time when uh, Rojava is facing yet another uh, attack by Turkey. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, really, I am glad to be with you. And thank you for you and uh, for Mr. Phil. Okay, yes, we have to thank Phil, who always helps us uh, record these programs. So, uh, Mr. Muslim, I will start by asking you, um, what is your assessment of the meeting between uh, President Erdogan and President Putin? Because, you know, when we spoke most recently, you said that Turkey cannot launch another military operation, certainly not in the areas under Russia's control, without at least an orange light from Putin. Did he get an orange light or any kind of light in this meeting? Uh, well, no, I don't think so. Um, uh, but we have to recognize that this meeting uh, has came after Tehran meeting. Uh, I mean, just about 15 days or 16 days after Tehran. Uh, it means uh, that uh, they couldn't get the results they want from Tehran and then they had to sit separately to discuss maybe something which is not convenience with the interest of the, of Iran, you see. So it's a separate thing. But in spite of that, I don't think they, they could get uh, the orange light or green light for attacks. But uh, as we have heard, uh, they wouldn't object those uh, I mean, um, this using drones and bombarding the places in the uh, northeast of Syria, and so they they wouldn't reject it. So, but the invasion, very wide invasion to those area, I think is uh, is not uh, possible this time by because, uh, uh, as we mentioned before, I mean there is a. Iranian troops over there, or Iranian people, and also the you know, Tur Turkish troops, Syrian troops, Russians, and also maybe we have the local people, Kurdish resistance units. So everything will be very mixed if there is any attack on the ground. 
so maybe we'll they will continue in this way i mean just by bombardment bombarding and so but uh, in spite of everything we don't know really because uh, i mean uh, the president of turkey really is clumsy maybe they can do something uh, you know uh, unexpected so we don't know really well he does keep saying that it will be unexpected that we can come at any time um but why do you think uh, Russia is so reluctant to let Turkey intervene when clearly Russia has a lot of expectations from Turkey, particularly since it invaded Ukraine? I mean, Turkey is one of uh, the few uh, NATO countries, perhaps the only one that's not, uh, in, you know, a joining in sanctions against Russia, uh, access through the Bosphorus is so critical, and now they just signed this deal uh, to increase trade. Um, so clearly, Turkey is very important to Vladimir Putin. Why is he resisting? Uh, well, I think uh, because uh, maybe they have some strategic accounts, like uh, any invasion or any advance in Turkish troops to that area, it means maybe surrounding the Aleppo areas and so, and even members, maybe at that time M4 will be cut. So this is a, a huge thing for the Syrian regime. Uh, this is one, so they don't want to harm the regime and regime's uh, interests in that area. So. Anyway, this is the only reason maybe Russia is resisting, not allowing them to do. And uh, there is another thing, I mean, which is Iran. Iran also is in the account. They have to, to put it in account. And the main thing, uh, they know how much uh, our people over there, I mean, YPG and YPG and Democratic Syrian forces, also, they are ready, ready for fighting. I mean, they will resist, and this resistance, I mean, everybody should uh, take it in account. I mean, there are not empty areas just to go. So they will resist, and their resistance maybe will change uh, their accounts too. Well, we also um, know that at the same time, Russia is in a dialogue with you. You have to work together, especially uh, since uh, Operation Peace Spring, when Turkey launched its last invasion, and some of those areas where you used to have US forces uh, are now under Russian uh, control. Um, and we also know that Russia wants to somehow get you and Damascus to sit down and sign some kind of an agreement. Uh, and you have often described that as a capitulation, that that's what's being expected from you. Uh, how are those talks going? Uh, we saw an article today in Sharkal Ausad suggesting that, you know, uh, there may be uh, more cooperation now between the SDF and uh, the regime. Uh, what is the status of those talks and of your relationship more broadly with Damascus? Well, just shortly, what I can say, there is no discussions, really. I mean, political discussions from our side or from the administration. All we have is uh, uh, discussion as a military base or for those armed forces uh, in the frame of uh, the agreement in 2019, a ceasefire which is guaranteed by the, uh, the Russians. So, um, I mean, maybe the... Uh, 
the troops and those uh, amount of the troops to be president in some places and so so and all discussions is about that not more than that so so basically there is no agreement with the regime can you just for our audience briefly outline what it is that the regime wants from you well, the regime, is, uh, which is, we are repeating many times, they didn't change their mind. They still believe that they can uh, take Syria back to before 2000, uh, to 2011, you see, without democracy, dictatorship, despotic regime, and controlling everything, which is, um, I mean, it was the, the cause of the, those people, I mean, Syrian people, to uprise, uh, uprise I mean, for... Um, uh, looking for that freedom, looking for democracy and changing the uh, the regime. So uh, they don't want to make anything. So the mentality is still the old mentality. And maybe because the, the mutual interest between them and the Russians, so they have to, to, to say okay to the regime. Uh, this is it, I mean, otherwise, uh, uh, the Russians, they know what we are looking for. I mean, we have some relations with the Russians since uh, uh, 2012, and they know our project, and they said, well, it's okay. Uh, we will try to persuade the regime to accept, I mean, uh, a dialogue. But till now, there is uh, no any advance on this uh, uh, stage, I mean, till now. Well, you mentioned Iran as well, and that's not really been discussed very much. I haven't seen really anything about your relations, um, the autonomous administration's relations with Iran in Syria. Uh, what is the nature of that relationship? Well, there is no relation really, because we don't have the Iranians in our areas. Maybe we have uh, in some points like uh, Kamishlo and Saka. Uh, we have some areas which uh, the regime is located, maybe some Iranians over there, but they never talk to us, they never meet us, there is nothing between us and them, I mean directly, there is no contact. So, um, just to, uh, you know, to make sure that our audience understands, what, what do the Kurds of Syria want? What is their minimum demand going forward? Well, uh, we, would, we would like uh, uh, to have some human rights, that's all. I mean, the Kurdish people, they are a nation, they are in their place, historical place, since thousands of years, and they, they should be recognized as the people, as the human. And now we, we don't have till now, I mean, uh, we, we cannot speak our language, we cannot teach our language, we are not free in the politicians and so, and uh, everybody has uh, uh, gave up the Syrian to fight alone, I mean, against the, uh, those Daesh, and uh, they want to, to finish the Kurdish people in these areas. I mean, even Turkey or the Syrian regime, and we have defended ourselves, and uh, we protected ourselves till now, and of course we will uh, guarantee this, I mean, to have at least, I mean, our being in, in these areas. And we have our project, of course, I mean, we find that uh, uh, the democratic um, self-administration is the best way within the United Syria, within Syria, just like all the countries, I mean, Europe and everywhere, 
uh, to have some, some kind of uh, autonomous areas within the Syrian, uh, the Syrian government and the Syrian state. That's all we are looking for. And so um, uh, how many Syrian Kurds actually live outside of your area in Syria? Like you said that we still don't have our rights. So presumably you're talking about the Syrian Kurds who live outside of the, uh, your uh, zone of influence. What kind of lives do they face um, in places like Damascus or Aleppo? And how many of them are there? Well, we have uh, too many. Maybe we can talk about more than 200 or 300,000 people because there is no, I mean, number has accounted also in, in Damascus and uh, in homeless areas and other areas. So we are, we are everywhere in Syria. In, in our areas, in our areas, we have about 3 million people which they are Syrian. And our areas, which we are controlled now by the democratic Syrian forces, or protected by democratic Syrian forces, it's about uh, more than five million. And Including we have many Arabs as well. Yes, yes, with the Arabs uh, and with the Syrians. Of course, but what I'm trying to say is that the Syrian Kurds who live outside your area still face the same restrictions that they did prior to 2011, and we've seen no sign of the yes. regime making any kind of goodwill gesture, let's say, for example, allowing education in the Kurdish language, Kurdish language broadcasting, organization of Kurdish political parties um, as, a, as, a, as a confidence building measure that could maybe lay the ground for some kind of meaningful dialogue, correct? Yeah, that's right. Well, it's not the, only the Kurdish people. When I say that, I mean their mentality has <laughs> of course, not of toward, course. not toward the Kurdish only, and toward all the Syrians. I maybe you can refer to the the areas which uh, uh, retaken by the Syrian regime, like Daraa, Homs, and even Damascus. Still, still, the regime is doing the same as it was in two thousand before uh, two thousand eleven. Before that, there are still, I mean, maybe the intelligence services capturing people, detaining them, and pressuring, and everything is it's the same. The, nothing has been changed. And it's the same for the Kurdish people over there. I mean, even maybe, uh, maybe they had tried, our Kurdish people in Damascus, they tried to have some courses in special courses, I mean, for uh, the Kurdish language. Is prohibited by them. It's not allowed. You see. Oh, I mean, so there, yeah. Yeah, and there is no change in the mentality no at change, all. No change. No change. So here you are, uh, controlling this area and trying to uh, establish a model of governance, actually, for the rest of Syria. But your security, um, you may be slightly offended at me for saying this, is very much dependent on the United States and on the fact that they continue to keep uh, eight, 900 troops on the ground. And um, that is really your main cover. Uh, how confident are you that these troops will always be there? How confident are you that the US will remain committed to your security? Or is it really, as they've always said all along, that it's only really about uh, fighting the Islamic State. And once they're convinced that that threat's been you know, 
removed that they'll just leave? Well, uh, actually, we never asked the United States and the International uh, Coalition for protecting us. We are depending on ourselves. That's right. And uh, because we have uh, a mutual, I mean, um, um, aim to, to fight against Daesh, to fight against those terrorists. And any attack to our areas or to our people, it means uh, weakening our, our defense system, you see. Uh, this is all what we have, I mean. And maybe that, uh, you remember what happened in uh, 2019 when they withdrew from the other areas. And finally, I mean, I, I just uh, in these days when there is the threats by Turkey, we can find, I mean, those uh, sleeping cells of the Daesh and so, and giving away and destroying and killing the people. So, uh, I mean, the coalition, when they are here, is not to protect us. It's just to keep, keep us in power to fight against Daesh and those terrorists. That's all, I mean. Otherwise, we have still, I mean, potential for those uh, groups uh, to do and to organize themselves and so so they are here, we, we never ask them to protect. I mean, they are not here for protecting us. What I mean, I mean, we have a mutual interest between two sides for the international coalition and for democratic Syrian forces. That's all because of that. I mean, United States is keeping the troops. And, well, I mean, uh, it's quite obvious that, you know, they haven't done much to protect you. Uh, Certainly in October 2019, it was kind of the opposite when Donald Trump actually green-lighted that Turkish invasion. And uh, they, they do seem to not uh, say very much when Turkey continues to carry out these drone strikes. And often you see civilians losing their lives in those attacks. So I can uh, understand how, how frustrated you feel. So when you in your discussions with U.S. officials, what exactly do they tell you um, about their commitment to you, to your democratic project, and your efforts to, you know, win some democratic rights uh, going forward? Are they engaged with you in those kinds of conversations, or is it just about Daesh security, that sort of thing? While we are talking about these points, I, I believe, I mean, maybe we are dealing with each other since uh, maybe more than seven years. And there is much uh, mutual, I mean, trust between us. I mean, maybe we can trust each other now uh, because the Americans where they are here, the troops, they can go to the village and uh, talk to the people very freely. And uh, the people, I mean, here like... Uh, uh, those international coalition troops over there. So they are, I mean, they are dealing with very friendly. And something else we are telling them, I mean, why those Turkish attacks in our areas and our people? You can just recognize, I mean, just a few days ago, they have killed some people from uh, democratic Syrian forces and with the uh, the women forces and those fighters, they were against Daesh. They were fighting together with the international coalition against Daesh. They, they had very good relations. I mean, they were in the same uh, areas for fighting. And now it's, it, they were attacked by Turkey. Why? Because we believe Turkey is taking the revenge of Daesh. 
you see? It's just killing those people because uh, they uh, were able to defeat Daesh. So this is the point. And we are telling them to understand that. I mean, those attacks in our areas, in our people, in our democratic Syrian forces, in YPG and YPJ, is just revenge of Daesh. I don't, I mean, don't forget that those Daesh leaders, I mean, uh, all of them, not only one, I mean, still we have a list about maybe tens of those Daesh leaders they are in the area occupied by Turkey. And you remember two caliphs, they were killed in the, on the border of Turkey. So You mean the successors Turkey, to Baghdadi, the, the ones who succeeded yes, him, yes, who you're referring yes. to? Baghdadi and Qureshi and the others and the rest, and some of them, they were arrested and still we have a list of long list of of the names they were emirs of daesh and they're living in this place we so, also know that a lot of turkish people joined daesh correct that's right and those are used in turkey i mean in north kurdistan against the kurdish people over there you you remember i mean what happened in ankara explosion and in diyarbakir in suruj so those are Daesh, which is working under the control of MIT. So this is very clear. I mean, our partners here, I mean, I, I mean, the Americans, International Coalition, if, if they really want Daesh to be finished, to be defeated forever, they should cut those supports to Daesh. But Turkey will, of course, respond that uh, their fight uh, is against terrorists and that the PKK is a terrorist organization that Turkey, uh, the, sorry, the United States and the EU recognize it as such, and that these PKK uh, people are, are inside northeast Syria and that they are part of the administration and that even though they may wear different uniforms and operate under a different, you know, name, that they're all PKK. What is your response to that? Well, the Americans are with us. We are together discussing. They are in the troops. They are fighting together. They know us very well. They know that they, they, they are not connected to, to PKK or they are not taking their orders from PKK, whatever it is. They know our reality very well. It's just, I don't know why they are keeping silence for, for Turkey. We then know, I mean, it's excuse for, for Turkey. I mean, those people have been killed. All of them are Syrians. All of them are serious. But, but some of them did actually uh, operate with inside the PKK, but that was before, not today. And those well, people then well, went on to fight against the Islamic State. So actually, well, I mean, the broader question here really is, um, why does the PKK even exist? And that brings us to the heart of the matter, which is Turkey's failure to address its Kurdish question. Now, well, we remember the days, sorry to interrupt, when in fact Turkey was trying to fix that and Recep Tayyip Erdogan, the president, uh, was the first Turkish leader who uh, allowed direct talks between uh, the government and Abdullah Öcalan, the PKK leader who's in uh, Inrela prison, and between uh, PKK commanders. Um, and you, in fact, uh, during that period, at least when we had the second attempt at talks, used to meet with Turkish leaders. Isn't that so? Can you tell us a little bit about that period and how your relations were with Turkish officials? You would 
come and go to Istanbul, I believe. Some say Ankara, maybe you can shed some more light, tell us stuff you haven't said before about those contacts. Well, first of all, we should know. I mean, uh, if we are saying PKK is just excuse, I mean, to blame everybody, every Kurdish people that are looking for any rights, democratic rights for the Kurdish people, they became a terrorist in the eyes of Turkey and they said they are PKK or connected to PKK or whatever it is. It's just uh, accusation, nothing more than that. This is all. all. And they were dealing with the PKK. It was the right thing to do because we believe, I mean, this Kurdish issue, which is uh, led by led by the PKK, I mean, as um, I mean, the Kurdish movement, freedom movement or whatever, it should be solved in this way. I mean, by dialogue. Who is going right. to talk? It's not, it should be by, solved by dialogue. And this is that time in 2000, uh, 13, 2014, 15, there was a dialogue and everything was quiet. But after that, we understood that that period what is just uh, a kind of trick by Turkey. I mean, because they were preparing some, themselves for um, a big fight. I mean, building the facilities for fighting and the, I mean, collecting the power and getting ready to fight against the Kurdish people everywhere. But could it not be that, that, that the government had, you know, Erdogan was actually sincere, but that the security establishment was working against him and that they were somehow sabotaging him? I mean, we'll never know the real truth, but um, at least not in the near immediate future. But I, I would like to hear about your contacts because this peace process was also um, about uh, what would, how Turkey would deal with the Syrian Kurds, isn't that so? And you had contacts with Turkish officials, correct? Well, yeah, that's right. I mean, our contact with the Turkish officials started in 2012 in Cairo, which was uh, a Turkish ambassador over there. And then I, I was invited to Istanbul to meet the, some people from the foreign ministry. Uh, so we met uh, over there. Were they friendly? We, we Were they talked... nice to you? Yes, yes, we understood each other and they were trying to connect us to the Muslim Brotherhood. I mean, the Syrian opposition, which was led by the Muslim Brotherhood. They wanted us to be under their umbrella, to listen to them, to be connected to them. At that time, we said, yes, we, we are opposition of Syria and we can do what is needed, but for one condition they should say or write uh, i mean by writing saying the kurdish issue is uh, there, there is a kurdish issue in syria and it should be solved in the democratic way so uh, this is the condition if they put these conditions we can con connect to them and we can work together with them but the opposition rejected i don't know maybe rejected by themselves or just turkey ordered them to reject this um, i mean demand and then we turn, uh, when we reject, I mean, to accept that condition, to just to be connected to them without any condition. So at that time, we became a terrorist. 
<laughs> and there's even a, 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 war, a, a warrant for your arrest by Turkey. And, and right. even, even a, a lot, how many million dollars would I get if I captured you and handed you over to Turkish authorities? I can't remember. Yeah, I'd become a rich woman. Yeah, which uh, it was uh, in Turkish uh, lira. It's not. Oh it was, dear! Well, uh, that's not worth so very was, much it was, anymore. Yeah, is it? It was family. <laughs> they it have was to up update that. They have. To. But but yeah, sorry, it, was, it, it was a hopeful moment, wasn't it? In in Turkey, yeah, was, those it, talks it were going yeah. on, yeah, and it it's was, a real shame that 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 all, all ended and that people are dying yet again. And I just want to tell our audience, because not many of you probably know that Salih Bey was a student in Turkey. He studied engineering in Istanbul. He speaks fluent Turkish. He made many Turkish friends, and he really did help change the atmosphere uh, in Turkey and was a great ambassador for Rojava at the time. Um, so why do you think we are where we are today. You know, you follow Turkey very closely. Do you really think that, um, as you said, Erdogan was just playing a gay game or did circumstances kind of also push him towards this path of renewed aggression? Yes, I think so, because there were some, uh, I mean, conflict between them and uh, maybe Fatala Gulen stream. And mm -hmm. they, they were, they were enforced to, to get the help from some other parties inside Turkey, just like MHP and the Erganakon and some other, I mean, um, um, powers in Turkey, which is against the, the Kurdish issue and against the Kurdish, uh, I mean, the Kurdish solution or so. They are hate the Kurdish people. They're, they're refusing the, any Kurdish being in Turkey. So at that time, he changed his policy. It was in 2015, if yes. I remember. Yeah, at that yeah. time, they just became the enemy of everybody for the democratization, for the Kurdish people, the Kurdish rights and whatever. Since his, uh, I mean, collaboration with the MHP and those Erganakon and the other, I mean, gangs in, in, in Turkey. And still it's continuing, I mean, this war, I mean, Maybe the collapse of Turkish economy is just because of this war, but nobody is talking about because since seven years, Turkey is in the war and spending huge amounts of money for this war. I mean, can you imagine? And everyone? for the uh, occupation of Syria, also, yeah. it must cost a lot of money, those areas that it's, you know, sitting uh, don't, in. Don't forget, I mean, still a war going in South Kurdistan. Since, uh, in, since you mean, yeah, uh, in case some of our readers don't understand, Muslim is talking about Iraqi Kurdistan, yes. Yeah, I guess guerrillas. Uh, since it didn't stop, I mean, the war maybe just destroying everything. So, and even the Turkish economy is destroyed by, by because of that war, yeah. And yet, you know, uh, one of the reasons Erdogan made this turn away from the peace process was because he reckoned that he was losing too many nationalist votes. Yet, as things currently stand, without Kurdish support, it's very difficult for anyone to be re-elected. So do you, do you think that there's even the slightest chance that he may reverse course yet again and reach out to the Kurds, if only to save his own skin? 
uh, and to remain in power? Well, uh, one point should I mention, I mean, because uh, this, uh, the Kurdish issue in Turkey is the main issue since the beginning of establishment of the Turkish state till now. And if, because they couldn't solve it, it's spread around to, to Rojava, to South Kurdistan, to everywhere, to the world. And even for the democratization of Turkey is just because they don't want the Kurdish people to get any democratic rights. Because of that, they were not able to join the European Union and even discussions between them. So it's, it's a problem really. But if, can you imagine, if the Kurdish people is solved in Turkey with a democratic way in the parliament or whatever it is, if it's solved, so I think all the Middle East will be in rest, really. Because, I mean, all the, this, uh, I mean, the Turkish attacks and the Turkish atrocities everywhere is just because of this Kurdish issue is not solved in Turkey. Have you met no. with Erdogan? Because there's a rumor that you actually personally met him. And let's set the no. record straight. You've you've never met Erdogan in person. No, really, no. I I, I couldn't meet. I wish to meet him, really, <laughs> but uh, of course I think he wouldn't accept it. <laughs> well, he might have at one point, perhaps. Um, but um, just one last thing. Uh, you mentioned Iraqi Kurdistan and. We all know that uh, the Americans tried very hard to sort of make you and the opposition, uh, the Syrian Kurdish op opposition, sit down and sort of um, sign an agreement that would have allowed for them to share power with you and eventually ho hold elections, etc. Why do you think that whole exercise failed? And uh, to what extent do you think uh, Iraqi, Iraqi Kurds or even the KDP, shall I say, uh, were, 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 you know, um, instrumental in that process. Why did it all not work out? Well, uh, if I say maybe you, you will say you are exaggerating things, really. I may. But, <laughs> yeah, but everything is from Turkey, really, because we, we were saying, I mean, for those, uh, the Kurdish people and Syrian Kurdish people, meeting and so with the mediation of the United States and uh, uh, Mr. Mazlum, which is a Democratic Syrian Forces Commander and so, and really we, we wish to do something, but, but the problem is they are connected to Turkey. I mean, some people that they were sitting in Istanbul or Ankara, they are rejecting, I mean, such anything to any, uh, I mean, uh, any closeness between the Kurdish people. And even for the for the Iraqi Kurds and the Rojava Kurds and so, Turkey is not accepting any Kurds to become together, to work together. So because of that, they are doing all their efforts and so, just to, to, to let the Kurds very spread everywhere and not to be together and not to be united. And this problem really, we are suffering it not from now, from. Uh, 2012, when we started to make some agreements, Hauler, uh, I mean Hauler agreement, and then Dohok agreement with the Kurdish people to be, to come together, everything was, I mean, just uh, uh, let's say, I mean, um, sabotaged by Turkey, really. 
because at that time, maybe one time, I mean, Dawudullah will uh, come and say what, what he has done. I mean, he was meetings with them saying, well, it's not accepted. You shouldn't do anything with the PYD. So that's yeah, all. This is the for, former foreign minister, former prime minister, Ahmed Davutoglu. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he's still, still, I mean, maybe maybe now he's not Davutoglu, but the others are still doing the same. I mean, for those, the Kurdish people and the conflict between us and the Barzanis and the South Kurdistan. So the problem is, uh, the source of the problems is Turkey, really. Well, if you had a message uh, for, first of all, for President Erdogan, and second, for Prime Minister Masrur Barzani, what would that message be? Well, I say, you wouldn't be, I mean, you wouldn't be uh, maybe uh, in peace till you solve the Kurdish problem. The Kurdish problem is the main problem, not only for South Kurdistan or for Turkey or is a problem for Middle East. And the key of solving this problem is in the hands of Turkey. If they solve it, everything will be okay, I think. And from Prime Minister Masrur Barzani, what would you have to say to him? Well, I, say, I think uh, what I say, I mean, he should think of his people, um, not, uh, I mean, uh, just because of Turkey, they shouldn't, they shouldn't, I mean, be away from his Kurdish nation and Kurdish people. He should respect the Kurdish people and even the blood of those martyrs uh, killed for protecting the Kurdish people. Well, Salih Muslim, it was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so very much for joining us today. And let's hope that peace will prevail and that there won't be any more uh, attacks. Thank you so okay. much again. Thank you. Thank you very much. Bye. Thank Bye. You. Elizabeth Hagedorn, and I'm the State Department correspondent at El Monitor. And I'm Joe Snell. I'm El Monitor's video editor. Let's admit it. This past year has been difficult to stay on top of the news and sift through what's accurate and what's misleading. Let El Monitor help you. If you care about the Middle East and North Africa, you should consider listening to El Monitor's audio series on the Middle East with Andrew Parasoliti and Amber and Zaman, and on Israel with Ben Caspi. You can now watch our newest video podcast, Reading the Middle East with Gilles Capel. You can subscribe to these series on your favorite podcast platforms. And through a host of free daily and weekly newsletters, we offer a range of perspectives with the highest journalistic standards. You can subscribe to these newsletters at almonitor.com. As an award-winning media service headquartered in Washington, D.C., Almonitor has a network of over 160 contributors around the world. So if you haven't done so already, be sure to visit almonitor.com, where you can find all of these newsletters and podcasts, along with first-class reporting and analysis. And this brings us to the end of this week's podcast. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did, and tune in again next week. Thank you for listening and goodbye.